Okay, good morning, everyone. Well, as you can see, I'm not here alone. I have someone who looks a little bit like me in female form, and I want to introduce you to my daughter, Jody. And uh, many of you know uh, Jody, and actually we have uh, done this before where we have preached a sermon together. Uh, Jody has been involved in our church, in our children's ministries a number of times in the summer, serving in different capacities, including last summer where she did an internship uh, here. And last August, we actually had the chance to preach together for the first time as part of her internship. So we're going to do it again because she's home for the summer. Uh, Jody is uh, in her fifth year, going into her fifth year at Columbia Bible College and uh, loves the Word of God, loves to teach the Word of God, and uh, I'm just thrilled to be able to uh, preach this morning and to do that together with her. Mm -hmm. And I am so excited for this opportunity and to be able to speak with my dad is such a privilege and something I don't take for granted. And I had the opportunity to, at Columbia Bible College, where I'm studying, I had the opportunity to take a class in Romans this last semester. And so as you've been immersed in Romans throughout this spring, I have been immersed in Romans in BC. And so I just thought that that was an awesome parallel and be able to keep on, on top of it with listening to sermons here and then also be in classes there. I also have felt a strong calling while at CBC and have felt... Uh, just God giving me a calling towards the local church and I have there's been a passion that's arisen in me and just feeling called and a love for the local church and as I've been away at school and coming back here for summers I've had the opportunity to see church done in many different contexts and as I've come back I've had renewed a renewed perspective and I've just seen I've just been blessed to be able to come back and see my church in in a new way, and I have been so encouraged and so, oh, we're pretty good. I've been so encouraged and coming home for summer and just seeing the, the spirit that's alive here and something I've been able to see renewed as I've come back from school and being able to see the faith that is evident here, seeing people serve so willingly in their gifts, and yeah, the Spirit's just moving at Forest Grove, and I just love our church. So I've been so encouraged coming back home, and so I just hope that you are encouraged as well. I'll bet that encouraged you. <laughs> it's awesome. So today we are stepping into Romans chapter 14, so I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 14. We're going to continue on in our series, uh, as Jody had mentioned, as she's been tracking through her studies and uh, she's actually a girl who listens to her dad's sermons online. And I go like, really? And she says, yes, she honestly does. Not just mine, but all the ones that are from here as well, too. So she's been tracking with us. So last week, Kevin uh, was preaching on uh, Romans 13, in the last part of 13, where he had talked about love your neighbor on this unique section at the end of that chapter, if you were here for that. And it, in some ways, again, it, it, you might go, well, is this out of place a little bit? Uh, like, how does this fit in with this love section, and, and we've seen how, how uh, Paul kind of inserts these kind of challenges to love and to love deeply and why that so matters. He did that in Romans chapter 12, right before he got into the spiritual gifts that were there in Romans 12, and then he talks about to love deeply. He does that in other books of the Bible, where he also then again speaks about the importance of love. And at the end of 13, he did that again about here you need to love your neighbor. And now... In 14, in chapter 14, he starts to, or he continues in this theme of loving one another, but now in the context of the local church and saying, 
Here's why loving each other is so important and why you need to do that. Because unity matters to Paul. And we've talked about that before in this series, is that the local church having unity and actually having a common witness and a unified witness is really significant to Paul. And again, I've often felt the conviction that I don't know if we we hold as strongly to the value of this and to the importance of this like Paul did, even what Jesus did as he prayed for the unity of the church and those that would follow, about the, the importance of a common witness, of a unified witness in the church, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel and to live out the great commandment of loving the Lord your God but loving your neighbor as yourself and loving each other. And it has huge implications for the witness and the credibility of the gospel. And Paul was so passionate about that, and we'll see that uh, in our text today. And so Jody's just going to begin reading, and then I'll uh, continue. Romans 14, verse 1. 1 to 3. Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Let's keep reading in verse 5 and some of the verses that follow. In the same way, some think that one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Those who eat any kind of food do, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both of the living and of the dead. Let's pause there for a minute and just kind of think about what Paul is addressing here. He, he identifies the weak and the strong. He identifies in this text, as we'll see, that he talks about the weak and the strong. And, and Paul is identifying a division in the church, uh, and he's addressing it head on. And so we'll see in this text that he's talking about the strong primarily as those Gentile believers who feel like they can operate in freedom in expressing their faith. They have the freedom in how they live. They have the freedom in expressing their faith. And the so-called weak that he's referring to, and we'll define weakness a little bit more as we go along, would be the Jewish believers who were struggling with letting go of their Jewish traditions. This core dispute was about the kind of food that they ate and certain holy days, such as the Sabbath. And so these were things that were very important to the Jewish believers, and so they were holding on to these things as part of their faith. And so Paul is referring to them in this context as those who are weak uh, around these things. So Paul clearly sides with those who are strong on the basic issues that are involved. But his main concern is actually that both of these groups would stop criticizing each other, stop judging each other over these secondary issues, and actually get along for the sake of the gospel. And so that is the fundamental place that Paul kind of lands in this one where he's encouraging them towards unity around these issues that don't really matter. In another uh, context in in Colossians, Paul also speaks to this. In in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, he says something similar. 
where he says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. So to clarify these terms a little bit further, I think sometimes we can get caught up in the strength of the terms that are used. The weak and the strong can be these labels that we put on one another. But when Paul's talking about our faith being weak or strong, he's not talking about what you believe generally or your faith generally. Rather, he's talking about the convictions, the specific issues and convictions that come out of your faith and how you determine how you live as a result of that. So what you feel, what you feel allowed to do or not allowed to do on disputable matters. And so these, these terms are more fluid. They're not permanent labels that we place on other Christians. They're not, you are weak, you are strong. They're not permanent, but they're more fluid, and they change based on convictions and issues specifically. And so even for myself, I'd be considered weak on certain issues and convictions that I have and strong on others. And so they're interchangeable, and they're not something that once labeled or once put on someone that are permanent or in that, in, and strength in that way. So, Right. As uh, one commentator by the name of Douglas Moo points out, he says that these, this text gives a very classic example of a passage in, with, in which the author and the audience have access to these specific issues in a way that we actually don't have access to. And even in the text, you don't, know, you don't get a lot of detail about what the exact issues are. And so you're sort of going, okay, what exactly are you fighting about, people? And, and so Douglas Moo points that out, that we, we have to kind of add in some things or, or uh, try to understand the context of it more in order to really get to what the issues are. And we all know that as believers, even, we, we fight over silly things, right? I mean, in our family, we fight over things like uh, rinsing the dishes, uh, I'm a rinser. Anybody else a rinser in here? Thank you. I see those hands. That's great. Like rinsing is just a given to me. I mean, why wouldn't you rinse your plates before you put it in the dishwasher? I mean, you have to do that. Um, but others in our family don't think that that's important. But how you arrange the dishwasher is really important, which I really don't care about. Like I just kind of throw it in there. But as long as you rinse first and you put it in. But others in our family who will go unnamed, um, it's just really, really important how you put it in the dishwasher. And or turning off lights in a room or things like that. I mean, right, we, we fight over silly things, don't we? And so these people were obviously fighting over things that mattered a little bit more than that. Um, they, one of the areas that they fought over and that this was about was actually about traditions, about the traditions that the Jewish people had. Um, the Jewish believers were clearly struggling with these long-held and embedded Jewish traditions that they had held on to, that they had had for centuries, that were passed down from generation to generation to generation, and, and that had been passed down, this law of Moses, and all of these traditions about the way you eat, and these food regulations, and washing ceremonies, and Sabbath keeping, and all of these things that have been so embedded in their DNA, so embedded in their culture, so connected to their faith, and their religion. And so we can understand, in some ways, that that it was hard for them to let it go. And sometimes we think, well, what's the big deal? Like, just let it go. But if you understand, again, context and how deeply entrenched some of these were, um, it, it is more understandable. So Paul is, in some ways, telling the stronger Gentile believers who have the freedom, he's saying, you know what, cut them some slack. 
because they, they come with all of this history. And so in some ways, he's affirming those who are the Jewish believers who are still holding on to these, but, but saying, you know what? These aren't actually what gain you faith, but I can understand how they matter. And so to the strong ones, he's saying, cut them some slack. And even for us, we all have traditions again, right? We all have different traditions that we hold to. Uh, our families have traditions, whether it's where you go in summer and the things that you do in summer holidays, whether it's that you have carrot pudding at Christmas like my family does. Uh, I mean, that's just a really important tradition. Everybody hates carrot pudding that comes into our family, but it's wonderful, right? And, and so we have these different traditions that we hold on to. The Jewish people also had things, I think, that were a little bit more important to them than some silly traditions. That's right. And when you read this text, you can skim the surface and think, why is it so hard for these Jewish people to let go of these things? And it can almost seem frivolous or silly. But there's so much beneath the surface that we're missing and we'll we'll never fully understand as we're not immersed in their culture and in their traditions. But what Paul is speaking to, he's speaking to an audience that is entrenched in this tradition. Beginning far in the Old Testament, God had entrusted them with the law, and they held on to that. And even more specifically, once the Jewish people had left exile and they'd been freed from exile, they were in shambles. They were disunified and spread out, and a small remnant remained. And these people needed something to unify them, needed something to give them a purpose and a sense of hope. And that was the law for them. The only thing that they had to hold on to was their Jewish tradition and the law that God had originally entrusted to them. And so they used this law as tangible handles. This was something that they gripped onto and they did not want to let go because it was their only sense of hope. Without it, they were lost and they didn't have any sense of identity as a people. And so the law brought them together. And then carrying further on, the Pharisees took this and they had their original purposes were good and wholesome. And they took this law and they elevated it and they took it one step further in an effort to make the people more righteous and to have something even more to hold on to. But what eventually happened is their hearts hardened and the original intent to become more righteous just became legalistic religious traditions that turned them away from the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus. And so Jesus comes into this context And he's speaking to these Pharisees, and he's speaking to these Jewish people, and he fulfills the law. He replaces the law, and there's no longer a need to follow all these restrictive guidelines because Jesus is what makes them righteous, and Jesus is what unifies them. And so they can follow Christ instead of following the law. And so this is the audience that Paul is speaking to. It is something that is so deeply rooted And they can't just abandon the law instantaneously. They're not just going to let go of their entire source of identity, their entire source of hope that's carried them so, so long. And so Paul's not saying that these these Jewish people must stop observing altogether. He's saying, allow them to observe the law. Allow them to practice their law on these negotiable issues. And Paul's saying it's a non-issue to not fight over it, to let them be. And so with this understanding and getting a little bit of the background of these people, we in our own context must seek to understand people with tradition and rooted patterns in their lives and seek to understand their behaviors and instead of criticizing them, respect where they're coming from. Yeah, and even as Jody and I were talking about 
this point this week, what, what came to my mind was just some of the ways that even in our church context and for each of us in different ways, when we have traditions that are so connected to our faith, um, there's some commonalities there. And as I think about our church, we, uh, we are coming, becoming an increasingly diverse church, which I am so thankful for. People of all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, coming from all kinds of countries of origins, people who, who come and be part of this church from all kinds of faith backgrounds, which is wonderful. But I was thinking of some of the people, similar to me, who come from that Dutch-German-Russian background. And our, our, a lot of people in our church from, from years ago have come from this Mennonite tradition of, of people who've come over from Europe and places in, in Russia and so on. Uh, my dad came over and my, par- my grandparents came over in 1927. My dad was actually in my grandmother's womb on the ship called the Melita and came over and came to Canada. And in many ways, as I was thinking about that, I thought, for people like that, it might not have been so dissimilar to what the Jewish people were facing. They were a people who were used to exile. They were people who had sort of abandoned everything in many ways. And so these traditions of faith start to be held onto really tightly. And when I think of some of those people who even came over, uh, you know, decades ago and, and came out of exile, like even some who came from that Mennonite background, and, and would have had these traditions of faith that were expressions of their faith. And, and you come over here with nothing. You, you leave everything. What are you going to hold on to? You're going to hold on really tightly to those things of faith that matter to you, that have pointed you to, towards God, and that have actually, where God has revealed himself. And so what Jody and I are saying is that even in Paul's expression here, he's saying you need to understand why these traditions are meaningful to these people. So speaking to the strong who say, like, get over it, you know, and give them some slack at the same time because these traditions matter. I think of new immigrants into our country who come to this city, who come even who are part of our church, and who come leaving so much behind. What do you hold on to? You hold on to those traditions and those things that are connected to your faith that matter. And so that we would be gracious with one another as we hold on to those things and recognize but it expresses itself over the years in different things. And it, it, some, of them, some of these traditions, they lose their vitality and they light their life and they start to harden a little bit. And then you kind of wonder, well, why do we still do that again? Why is it that that's important to us? And they, they come out in things that, that churches can fight over and that you kind of struggle with, whether it's the, the clothes that we wear to church, the types of songs that we sing, the, the looking at a Bible from a physical Bible as opposed to a Bible app and people struggling, well, how, is that really a biblical thing to do? Um, or what Bible translation we use, like all those kinds of things can be those things that we hold on to because, well, I memorized this verse in the King James Version and it means so much to me. That must be the right translation, right? And so Paul is saying we need to have grace for one another. There's freedom in this, but we also have to understand why some of these things are significant for others when they hold and they are so connected to what has been significant uh, for their faith. And so... It's sometimes challenging for these people who Paul refers to as the weak to discard these things that have these close cultural and religious ties. But again, it's really important to note that these are areas that Paul's addressing that we might call disputable matters, negotiable areas, not core gospel salvation issues, but very secondary things. And we see in Scripture that Scripture commands us to do certain things, like to worship the Lord. We also see in Scripture, and we've seen that in Romans a number of times, that it also, Scripture forbids us from doing other things, like committing adultery. But many other things are not commanded, nor are they prohibited. 
There's freedom in that. We're free to either do them or not do them. And, And in this text, it talks about being convinced in our own minds or don't do it. And so Paul in this text, he's saying to those who are weak to not impose their restrictions and their judgments on the strong. And he's saying to the strong, you freedom fighters that have freedom in your faith, not to impose your freedoms nor your judgment on the weak. Because after all, Christ gave his life for these weak believers, and the least you can do is give up some food, is what he's saying to them. But it's important to note here that, that Paul is speaking about tolerance here about secondary issues. And again, that word tolerance often is misunderstood. Tolerance means that we actually love another person and we accept another person even when we disagree with them. That's what it is referring to. So Paul is speaking here to the church to have tolerance for those and to love those even within the church that you have different agreements on or different perspectives on these secondary issues, again, which is important to understand. Don't judge them in those secondary issues. Now, what some people say is they look at a text like this and they go, well, Paul is just about moral relativism. Like, it's just like, hey, whatever's good for you is good for you. Whatever's good for me is good for me. It's not at all what Paul's saying. Because if you go back to the earlier chapters in Romans, when it came to to moral living, Paul had very strong condemnation to sin, very strong condemnation and judgment on those things. In fact, called the church to hold these people to account on things about moral living that matter. And when Paul was addressing issues of salvation or issues of people misunderstanding grace or adding in the Jewish traditions in order to be saved, Paul had very strong words to people about that. He said, no, 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 that will not save you. And so he condemned and judged those people very strongly. So we need to be really clear that Paul's call to tolerance, to not judge, to have love and grace is in these secondary issues where he's saying, no, no, these are the things that divide the church and they don't matter We get caught up in these things and these foolish arguments that divide the church, and we we don't need to do that. And so Paul is addressing those things specifically. Something that's been a helpful visual for myself in understanding these issues was a a diagram that Dale introduced back in February in one of his messages. And it gives a picture of two boxes. And so the outer box, the light-colored box, is what we'd consider righteous living. It is within the realm of the law. It is how Jesus teaches us to act. It is safe in that box. That is where we are supposed to act as Christians. Anything outside of that larger box and in the darkness there is is sin, is unrighteous living, is where Christ calls us not to go past, and so we are to remain in that box. But what happens is, is there's a danger when these issues become extremes. And so what the Pharisees did and what Christians who become more legalistic, they create something that's called the super holiness box. And so they make a more tightly confined box within the righteous living, within the realms of the law. And it's, it's beyond what we are called to live in the means that we are called to live in. And so the super holiness box creates a danger because we become legalistic and we trap people in this box that they don't need to remain within. They are, we are free as Christians. We have freedom in Christ to act within the larger box and, have, and to live righteously within that box. The second danger is the other extreme, is Christians that feel that they have freedoms to express, and they try and go to the outskirts of the larger box. And so they say that, that they have freedoms, and so they go to the very edge of the, the box, and they stand right on the line. And the danger there is that line becomes very fine. 
And it can be very hard to determine. When that's your motivation, is just staying within the box, that's the wrong motivation. And you can easily tip on either side of that line. And so there's a danger to push too far outside the box. And then there's a danger to become too legalistic and confined. Both of those things are wrong. The box that we should, and the ways that we should be acting in is this next slide. We should be pushing our way to the center, not to become confined into a legalistic box, but to be moving towards the loving freedoms of Christ. And so we shouldn't be, we we have freedom within that box, but to be moving towards the center, to be moving towards unity and love, and to go beyond the issues of lines and boxes and restrictions and to live in freedom, but centered in Christ. And that should be the thing that's unifying us and bringing us together, not legalistic standards. So let's keep reading, and I want to just pull out, we've got a lot of text to cover, we'll just, we'll, we'll look at all of it, just look at a verse 13 in, in chapter 14. So Paul says, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And so again, Paul is, is, is talking about how do we build others up in the church? How do we live in such a way that builds uh, others up? Then in verse uh, 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you, of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God then. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty about doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. And then just a few verses in 15. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. And so this is, this is one of the challenges then when you come to these texts is to think about, okay, so what issues belong in which categories? How do we actually think about that? Which are the essential issues? Which are the disputable or the negotiable issues? And the Catholic Church in some ways has an advantage in this one where it's uh, simply papal authority makes those decisions and it's decided for them in that way. In the evangelical church, we have the Holy Spirit among us that we look to to discern these things in community. And we go, okay, so what are some of those things? I mean, Paul makes it very clear that in the essential categories are things like who is Jesus? What is the place of grace in terms of how you are saved? I mean, these are fundamental, essential things. The Trinity of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then there might be second-level issues that you would say, well, they're important to faith, but they're not salvation issues, like leadership structures in the church or, or women in ministry or things like that or, or about modes of baptism or things of that nature where they're important issues, but they're not salvation issues. And we shouldn't get so caught up in those arguments as well. And then there's those things that just don't matter, some of which we've talked about today. And Paul is saying that here in terms of the things you eat, what you drink. Those things just don't matter. 
And we sometimes get so caught up in those things. So whether or not somebody celebrates Halloween or somebody plays cards on a Sunday or somebody has a glass of wine or somebody does these, like we get so caught up in these things. And Paul's saying these are the things that we so often get twisted in knots about that actually do not matter. Some come from a position of weakness that we need to honor and respect. Uh, Some come from a position of strength and freedom that we need to honor and respect. Because it's about unity in these secondary disputable matters that's so important. So how are we supposed to respond as a result of of this passage? There are four main points that we want you to leave here with and to think about. Number one, sometimes we need to modify our own freedoms for the sake of others. Our freedom is wonderful and it's such a gift that we have these freedoms. But love is so much more important. Secondly, if we're on the weaker side, we will value the freedom of our friends more than the resolve of our own convictions on these minor matters. Thirdly, the spiritual health and unity of the body is so much more important than our own individual rights, and we need to see that. Fourth, we must follow our own convictions, and so you need to be convinced in your own mind or don't do it. Those are good summaries of what we've heard here today. And I want to just conclude with just a word of encouragement, maybe a pastoral word of encouragement to this church. Uh, Jody said at the beginning how she's been so blessed and encouraged by this church and this congregation. And I would say the same thing. And I want to encourage you, people of God, I want to encourage you, church, to keep moving in this direction of unity because it's here in this church. And we've experienced it. And I am so thankful for it. I want to flip over in verse 15. Uh, well, sorry, for me it's flipping over the page. Maybe not for you. Uh, 15 verse 14. I want to just read what Paul says there in those two verses. Chapter 15, 14 and 15. I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are, are full of goodness. You know these things so well that you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. And I guess as I was reflecting on this today and and praying through this, I was thinking, you know, this church has done this so well in so many ways. I have a pastor friend of mine, and I've shared this before, he's he's sometimes said, you know what, every church is like two weeks away from a church church split. You know, if all you do is you start to kind of fold your arms and your spirit is kind of getting offended inside and you let that kind of fester and you draw other people into that offense and you sort of rally the troops and so on. I mean, any church can go to disunity and a split so quickly. And I am just so thankful that this church continues to walk in unity and continues to reject those directions. We can still have disagreements, and disagreements are fine. Disagreements in the appropriate way are good. As we've made issues or, sorry, decisions over time, um, there's disagreements and there's sometimes you know, animated conversations and so on. And that's all good. But at the end of the day, when, when leadership decides a certain direction, then the church comes along and says, away we go together. I think of decades ago when the Mennonite Brethren Church decided to remove even Mennonite Brethren out of their name as a, as a local church to call it like Forest Grove Community Church, to not allow the name to be an obstacle to people who need Jesus. And I know there's controversy around that, but in the end there was unity as well too and say, okay, We're going to go together in this. As we make decisions around this church and as we renovate things and so on, how many churches have been split over pews? Many. Mm -hmm. Because you change pews. We're talking about changing the pews. 
We're not going to split the church over that. These are things that just don't matter. We can agree and talk and debate and argue and decide, but in the end, it's just encouraging to me to see how this church continues to walk in faith together. In 2010, we made a decision to move to a multi-site church, a radical change that people had limited sort of wonder, what is this about? And then we also moved to the decision of Northsite that we're continuing to walk in faith in. These decisions that are significant, that can split a church that didn't, we continue to walk in unity. So I, I want to conclude by saying, be encouraged, church. You're walking in unity. You're living this out. Keep going. Press on. Keep being the body, encouraging one another, and build each other up as we strive to be the church together. Can I invite the worship team to come up? And they're going to continue to lead us in song. And I want to just conclude with uh, the wonderful prayer in chapter 15, verse 13. I'll invite you to stand as a congregation, and I want to just read this verse, and then I want to pray it over us uh, as a closing prayer uh, as a church. This is one of my, another one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Romans 15, 13, as a concluding prayer and a word that Paul gives out of the teaching that he just went through. And he says to this church, and I, I want to pray this for you in just a minute. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. So, Lord, I just thank you for this congregation. And even as Jody said at the beginning of the service, how the Spirit of God is at work here. You're teaching us to pray. You're teaching us to trust you more. You're teaching us to walk in unity. You're helping us to understand each other. Thank you for the diversity that is coming into this church, Lord. We pray that we would continue to become a more and more diverse people, ethnically, socioeconomically, All these different ways, Lord, that as a church that we would be a very diverse group of people. Recognizing that we all come with different traditions and different things that we hold strongly to. But God, may we continue to be gracious with one another. May we understand each other better and get to know each other in our traditions and why they are important to us. Why they matter, Lord. May we have deeper conversations in that. And may we do this for your glory and your kingdom's sake, Lord. Continue to draw us as a unified church. For your kingdom's sake we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.